Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by BitGuild.io, redefining the relationship between players and developers by facilitating full and true ownership of in-game assets. BitGuild's mission is to completely redefine the relationship between players and developers by facilitating full and true ownership of in-game assets, cheap and safe item trading, and cross-game compatibility of items, currency, and more. For gamers, maintain full ownership and control of your virtual items through the BitGuild wallet. Sell and trade items and currencies at will anytime, anyplace, safely, securely, cheaply, sometimes even free. And for developers, it's a direct link to an established player base with a strong community, an instant network of like-minded developers building for the same platform. BitGuild's token sale is now live. It started on March 15th, 2018 and goes until April 5th, 2018. So head to bitguild.io, that's B-I-T-G-U-I-L-D.io to learn more, get whitelisted and take part of the public token sale. Now, back to the show. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And every so often, well, more often than not, these amazing people come on our show, people in the crypto space, brilliant, entrepreneurs, passionate. And so we have our topic and we have an outline of what we want to discuss, but that evolves and it keeps going. So all over my computer are extra bits of conversation. There are 30 minutes, 20 minute segments of where we just chit chat shoot the shit this is one of those instances where hasm from humanique and myself were speaking about digital assets and then just kept the conversation going to talk about crypto philosophies ideas regulation and well we wanted to share that with you so i hope that we articulate our ideas well in this episode enjoy but before we get into this episode please go to crypto101podcast.com go to the top of the page the big tax button get $101 off your taxes this year so you can claim your crypto gains that you've been having time's almost up so please start working on those taxes also hit the contact button send us an email say what's up give us some comments some questions everything is okay join our facebook group the facebook group is there to help people get into cryptocurrencies share ideas have conversation Become a patron. The patrons are the ones that support our servers, our hosting, and everything. So if we do not have ads, the show goes on because of the patrons, and I thank you very much. And also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Subscribing on iTunes and leaving us a rating and a comment helps us stay on the top charts. Crypto 101 has been proud to be on the top charts ever since we have started the show, and we owe it to you guys going on subscribing rating us, leaving us comments, passing us, telling your friends about us, and listening. So we thank you very much. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Hazem about things that are on our mind. Hazem, welcome back to Crypto 101. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. When I first started this podcast, I made a couple of rants and a couple of comments that the crypto space needs to regulate itself before it gets regulated 
by external forces. And I always was under the idea that somebody like the Ethereum network and Vitalik could put regulations and smart contracts that allows only people and exchanges and what have you to follow certain criteria and certain standards of best practice to be in the space so external forces don't start clamping down like they are going to start doing. Do you think that was a possibility that could have happened? They missed their opportunity? Or was it just a fairy tale or something I made up in my head that never could have happened? <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's a fantastic question, truly. And and the everybody always wanted to believe that self-regulation was possible. Truly, that's that's what everybody wanted. That's what everyone wanted to do. And I think that was a central core element to the crypto space, really, at, at the onset, even several years ago. And, and we're seeing this now. We're seeing people in the crypto space flock to jurisdictions where the government is really lenient, letting them do whatever they want, creating sandboxes for them, regulatory sandboxes and so on. But we need to ask ourselves, was self-regulation ever really possible? You know, I've spoken to several different initiatives over the last five to six years who each tried in some way to develop an, an initiative of self-regulation. There are some of them still exist. Some of them have died um, and nobody could really do it. There's hundreds of different best practices. There's so many different initiatives around this, but nobody could really do it. And the reason why is simple. What do you need to self-regulate? You need compliance. What does compliance come from? Compliance typically comes from not wanting to have sanctions placed on you, right? In, in whatever way or, or punishments and so on. If that isn't the case, then compliance comes from your belief in the system and your belief in the growth and the you know, sustainable development of that system or network or community. The fact that we had so many bad actors and the fact that there existed so many bad actors that were stealing money from investors or contributors that were against the law at the time, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, were, were doing things that were clearly securities. And that showed that they were trying to act and develop in a bubble as opposed to working with the existing systems. I think if things were to start from the beginning, there would have been a lot more dialogue. One, to be compliant with existing regulations to to have open dialogue to perhaps create a self-regulating technological mechanism that is accepted and adhered to by everyone in the system but then you get to the point where well it will only ever be adhered to by the main players in the system and there will always be bad actors will those bad actors then be ostracized if that's the case or removed from the system if that's the case then you are doing exactly what a regulator does right <laughs> you're creating a new regulator exactly so this idea of self-regulation only has merit if you are now creating a new regulator and so then you're at stage one again <laughs> good so, point. Very good point. So then that takes me to, well, Vitalik is still, if, if you take Ethereum, for example, he is still trying to put into place a self-regulating mechanism for ICOs. I believe he, he came out with a general concept a month or two ago for in the future. I don't know if it's going to be implemented or not, but in the future, certain criteria had to be met and there were certain controls over ICOs. I can send you the link if you like. Um, it, it has merit, but I think it can be uh, fleshed out a lot more and it will only relate to Ethereum specifically, not to, you know, Waves, Neo, Exonum or any of the others. The last point is, you know, Consensus is, has its own initiatives as well. And so do many others who are trying to do something similar. But at the end of the day, 
there are existing systems in place and you need to learn to work together. It is not a threat and they're not at war with each other. They need to find the right touch points, linkages and commonalities in order to develop the right long-term strategies for development that don't hinder innovation, but at the same time, protect investors and individuals. And those need to be the intentions. Any intentions outside of that are not genuine nor sincere, nor do they relate to finding common ground to create a long-term solution where the crypto space and, and the new crypto economy is able to work compatibly with the traditional capital markets, financial markets, as well as all the different regulators globally uh, in the world. Right on. 100% agree. And now you give me a little bit to think about because one thing, <laughs> I guess you do have a point. I mean, you definitely do have a point. You know, if, if you're creating regulation, then you are just a regulator. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the goal and the idea for regulation within the space without the external regulators is that it's actually being regulated by a different idea, a different set of moral, a different set of values and goals, opposed to an old, old decaying system that everybody's trying to escape from or try to evolve from or try to innovate on top of. And I think that's kind of where I, I was going with that regulation. So I'm still not convinced that it's another form of regulation because regulation will exist. It always will exist. You have mm -hmm. you will never be able to get away from regulation. It is where it's coming from, though. And if it's coming from a bank or a government that you might not trust, and I'm not saying the United States government, but let's say a Venezuelan government or some other kind of government that may not be as, I don't know, stable. I, I don't know what, what you want to call it. I don't, I don't have the word right now. But I guess that's where I was going with that is, is it's coming from a different place. Definitely. I think I did touch on that and on what I was saying. And, you know, a lot of people made the arguments that the public blockchain cannot be regulated. And in that sense, that does have merit, mind you, right? Because at what uh, touch points do you then regulate it and what measures do you put in place? Or you can send Bitcoin to anybody's wallet address, right? <laughs> like that's it cannot be regulated in that sense. So. A lot of law firms and maybe many people involved more so in this space have been thinking about, well, how can this be regulated? Some people make the argument that, well, ICOs will need to get permits, let's say. All wallets will be issued by a central authority. That is interesting. It's also scary. But um, <laughs> there are these different, and it defeats the purpose, right? Yep. So there are these different approaches, and, and you know, it's on a spectrum from less extreme to most extreme. But if we were to say there was supposed to have been self-regulation, that inherently means, let's take it best case scenario, where you know it, it adheres to certain values and morals and so on uh, that you mentioned. Well, that would mean that everybody in the space had to adhere to those standards. If they didn't adhere to those standards, something would have had to happen. If it didn't, then there would be no self-regulation. So I understand where you're coming from that there, okay, there could have been some sort of regulatory body where everybody contributed towards that was perhaps decentralized in a way. Now that is the, I think the, the crux of this. You had some sort of decentralized self-regulating body, let's say, but at the same time, it still needs to interact with the traditional regulators and, and so on and so forth, which is why I think take the approach of finding some sort of middle ground. If you are able to align the interests such that the intentions align with the values and the morals and so on, then I don't think there's a problem. Because if you take, let's say, the FCA in the UK or the SEC, well, what is most important to them? Most important to them is protecting individual investors from bad investors. 
investments. You can make whatever arguments you want about um, how stringent some regulators are and so on, but that is their primary intention. That is where what their budget is supposed to be applied to, you know? Right. So if that is their intention, then we need to look at, okay, what's the intention of, you know, X, Y, and Z in the crypto space? Right. A lot of bad has happened in the crypto space, and that's because it was at infancy, and there wasn't these general standards and guidelines at the onset from the beginning, but also because they decided not to adhere to existing regulation. Well, why does it need to develop into an us versus them? The majority of regulators in the world are often open to dialogue, to, you know, POCs or pilots and or, you know, demos and all of these things so that they can understand it. They can be advised. Many of them have, you know, round tables and consultation sessions and so on. But yes, the ultimate deciding body is the traditional regulators. But that's the thing. If we were able in this space and I mind you, I my background is in traditional financial and capital markets and so on. So I try to have this linkage between the two. If you're able to align interests, then you would have more or less the same values and and morals and so on. Yes, there will always be compromise, but that's just part of negotiating. And you need to see what is the most important in this space. It's not, you know, full outright bans. That's not the way to go. But then we need to look to the intention. Why is it that these things are happening? What is the intention? Many sandboxes right now are being created and many um, frameworks are being created because they want to welcome investment into the country. Absolutely. They want, exactly. They want everybody to relocate because they know there's a lot of money. They want to be a hub for these types of things. Whereas others are banning because perhaps they are unable to control it or perhaps because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars are being hacked. That is a problem. That's a problem because of the lack of regulation, just as much as it is a problem because of the lack of self-regulation. I guess the internal regulation was where I'm thinking is because we wanted to make it eternal. I was always under the impression, I I guess what has happened to me a little over a year of being in the crypto space. Again, I'm still a newbie, definitely. But I had this enchantment, what crypto could be. And what I, I would like it to be. And what I would like it to be is this space that operated outside of the space that we are in now. It's kind of like, you know, cryptoception. You know, I'm, I, we're, we're, a, we're a financial system inside of fi- financial system, you know. And the way that we were going to have this happen is people start using cryptocurrency as in transactions and it has value. And, and we operated within the digital world. And I didn't have to touch a, a dollar bill or fiat. But what I see is happening with the sandboxes and the investments and the companies and the SEC and the governments and the regulation is all we're doing is making a cryptographic extension of a current system that we're just going to be, you know, we're, we're not changing anything. We're not changing the financial system. We are changing business practices. We are changing people's idea of how to be incentivized, how to interact with an economy that has, in my personal opinion, grown to be able to use people to extract a shit ton of wealth for people off of things that they didn't know that they could generate wealth from, clicks, likes, searches, this, that, the other thing, data, health records, what you name it. Yet now that we have all this within, we almost all of a sudden I found from my start to where I'm at now, a dream of living, like I said, cryptoception, you know, the financial system within the financial system to being part of the financial system on the blockchain. 
Am I wrong with that idea or am I just getting to be a grumpy old man? <laughs> I've heard this position many different times from a wide range of people, um, including, you know, the crypto anarchists that think that the crypto space is the savior of the world or it's going to save the world and so on. Two other people who think think that cryptocurrencies uh, broadly are a new way of redistributing wealth to, uh, you know, millennials, to other people who just think that, you know, similar to what you were saying, that this was supposed to exist separate from it. And it was supposed to do that because it is decentralized and because there's no central control or authority and so on. But this is where I get and this is the way I look at it, because I, I as I mentioned before, I take the approach that the traditional financial system, the traditional capital markets and so on, and the crypto space and crypto economy are not at odds. They are complementary to one another. And, and I can elaborate on this momentarily. Finding the right linkages and touch points is important. Part of that is regulation. And actually, the crypto space went wrong in thinking that it could operate completely outside when it has all of the electricity issues, mm -hmm. the um, scalability issues, right. et cetera, et cetera, and so on, when the majority of what they're doing is contrary to securities regulation. So if it really wanted at the time, and we need to ask this, if it really wanted at the time to be able to operate somewhat siloed or somewhat detached from the traditional space, then it would have taken into account all of these things instead of taking... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. A silly crypto anarchist approach, which has led to bans and heavy regulation and, and this and that and so on. If anything, if they wanted sustainability, they would have looked at the beginning, well, okay, what do we do such that we do not create a clash? What are the things that we require for long-term sustainability? Again, that is a difficult question because of, of technology, right? Technology wasn't ready at the time and we're facing issues now and those things uh, uh, might be solved, but uh, it's, it's iterations, right? It's iterations over right. the next 10 to 15 years. These are the questions that needed to be asked. But once you begin going against the, the regulators or government and so on, well, you begin creating issues. I think the point that we've gotten to, not only where, you know, a lot of things are actually securities and therefore have to comply with certain regulations, 
but where they could have put controls at the onset. But what was the problem at the beginning? They weren't speaking to anybody from the traditional area. And so that well either had them go about it blindly or they knew what they were doing and they did it anyways. And then you have separate to that, well, the systems always had to interact with one another. And you mentioned, why couldn't we just have a system that you could buy and sell and, and so on and so forth? Well, yeah, that is the best case scenario. However, what do you need for that to happen? Adoption. If you want adoption, well, it has to be an accepted means of buying and selling things in a particular jurisdiction. In order for that to happen, by default, you need government okay to say, yes, you can buy and sell. Like in Japan, for example, or in South Korea and, and, and several other places where you are able to buy and sell using Bitcoin. You know, These are important things that should have been addressed right at the outset, but it could only be addressed after it accumulated some sort of mass and there was a demand and a need to want to do those types of things. And then because regulators saw that, they permitted it. But in other jurisdictions, it, it developed very, very differently. It's not an exhaustive list of arguments, but these are just some points you know, to, to highlight. It can't exist outside the system because it also uses a huge amounts of electricity. It buys and sells things that by default place it as an alternative mode of currency you right. know, uh, with the, the yen or, or the US dollar or whatever. So by default, there was always going to be interaction and it could never exist within a bubble. If there is interaction, by default, you know, it's going to interact with all aspects of the traditional system. And because there weren't controls and measures put into place to protect it and protect this traditional system, that created misalignment in interests, but also misalignment with regulation and government intentions and so on and so forth. A lot of people say there's a lot of good and a lot of good has come out of it, but there's also been a lot of bad. How many hacks have we seen over the last month and a half of hundreds of millions of dollars just disappearing? Right. You know, not to say that these things didn't happen at the onset of at the beginning of, of the traditional uh, financial markets. No, right. if anything, well, there was blockchain bank robbers all over the place, man. They had mass exactly. guns in, in cars. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. That was called and, a hack. 100%. And these are things that we still need to be cognizant of. We need to know that certain developments and changes need to take place before the space is able to act and interact a lot more freely. I do see it being completely complementary, where the banks allow all forms of transactions, where you can have your own wallet address that is just complementary to your other bank accounts, that you can make transactions for different things and that individuals have the choice to be able to do these things. But many technological uh, advances still need to be made. A lot of regulation needs to be made as well, and that comes over time through better interaction with these two spaces, better understanding, better communication. But these are all soft, soft aspects and soft areas. Both sides always need to take the approach that it isn't us against them. It isn't this against that. It is about finding complementary solutions mm -hmm. to long-term sustainability from a technological perspective, from an innovation perspective, but also from a regulatory perspective. Some of the largest issues and that I'm involved in a lot is the AML, anti-money laundering and, uh, and KYC, the know your customer piece, which is incredibly important. And then we go into central values of anonymity and stuff like that, that perhaps you would acknowledge are key to this space? I would say no. I think there is a fine line between 
when that is okay and allowed, but also the issues that it causes with criminal activity, funding criminal activity, criminal financing, and, and all of those types of things, and the anti-money laundering uh, aspects. So it's about finding the right balance. And similar to what we said earlier when we're trying to categorize it's about balancing. It's balancing the weight of probabilities, the interests involved, the parties and the stakeholders so that we get everybody, you know, it's all hands on deck to find solutions that create, you know, just long term sustainable innovation where everybody benefits and nobody is left in the dark and nobody suffers loss and, and so on. These are the types of things. And that is the only way for there to ever be a future, I think, for this space, as well as for the, the traditional space. Just thinking about this for a minute, because I kind of saw where you're going with, you know, the synergy, let's call it, that good MBA business school word, synergy. <laughs> but I think last time we were talking about HMQ and uh, Humanique and things like that, we touched on these different systems that already exist within systems. We touched on the barter system. We touched on the unbanked. We yep. touched on the way that they conduct their lives without currency, without identity, without money, with you know the their goods from their crops or their labor mm -hmm. or these other things and how they can transact. And if you go to a, like an American centric kind of idea or point of view, the flea markets, the trade shows, the road shows, and this whole like subculture of, you know, being outside of, and, you know, just doing your craft or selling wares or even garbage picking and refurbishing old furniture and things like that. There are economies, little micro economies based within within these countries, these systems, even in big developed countries. Mm -hmm. So you can totally disregard that this could happen and take a grassroots approach and it could develop into something where it's not like the government will say, oh, it, it has to have a government sanction to be a thing. But it could develop and live within these subcultures and still become mainstream and mass adoption. Oh, no? definitely. I, I, so I don't disagree with that. However... Keep in mind, when at what point do governments and regulators get involved? Usually one. When they start losing when, money. <laughs> but also, of course, if they see something as a threat and, and it's difficult to control, of course, naturally. But it's it's typically, in, and you could make this, let's let's work with the assumption that it's it's always in the interest of the people. Let's say, let's use this as, as an assumption. Well, one, they would only get involved when there is mass adoption. It's reached, you know, critical mass mm -hmm. and it's either posing some sort of threat to uh, the traditional economy, there is financing of terrorism and criminal activity, but it's also clearly obvious that now it's breaching existing regulation. You know what I mean? And it's it's posing a threat to, let's take securities regulation, for example. Now people are losing money because they're uh, investing in something and, and they don't have the right protection or information to be able to make those decisions. So then we have to balance. Well, is it right that every person should be able to make those decisions on their own? Or should there be measures in place that protect them so that they don't lose all of their savings, uh, you know? But back to what you were saying about the kind of these micro economies and so on. And uh, and Humanique is, is a beautiful example of this because what it's doing is it's trying to use blockchain and biometrics and the HMQ to unlock the potential of, of local economies, to, to leapfrog them in digital transformation, right? And I think that that is something beautiful. And let me explain why. And this is something you find when you look at different cultures and, and the just the state of technology and regulation in different locations in the world. You find some that are very advanced and difficult to change. And you find others that are much less advanced, much more open to change. Mm. And you can skip the last 
10 to 15 years of that technological development into a new era or space. And I think this is incredibly interesting when you look at digital transformation, okay? And what Humanique is doing is it is doing exactly that. Okay, one of the very few companies that that in in the crypto space and blockchain space actually that is moving in that direction, which is let's provide this ability, reach critical mass, and deal with the governments and the regulators however they want. But look at this: if it is benefiting a government's people, let's go back to the assumption that I said earlier that a government and regulators always act in the best interests of its people. Then we'll find once we reach critical mass. If we're able to develop and identify the key metrics and KPIs and so on that demonstrate that this is adding true value to the people, people have a new source of income. That is enormous. People have access to to buy and sell things globally, locally. Charity can reach them. Charitable donations can reach them much more easily. It's an accepted form to trade with. They're using it. A farmer is using it to trade with another farmer. Somebody's using it at the grocery store to buy and sell. These become evident of positive benefit to, to people and to their lives. If that's the case, well, nobody is going to contradict it. If they do, then it's not in the uh, best intention or the welfare of its people. But we also need to be cognizant of, well, what spaces are we disrupting? Are we disrupting telecom companies or banks or this or that right. and so on? Because, again, there do exist lobbying groups. There do exist this and that and taxes and all these things. You have to be cognizant of them. You need to take them into account. You you need to really understand the landscape you're playing in. If you don't understand it, then you will always be upset and angry when things happen. And that is a big <laughs> part of what happened in this space. If you were clearly, if you were clearly breaking securities regulation, right. you shouldn't be upset. You should have studied it at the onset and taken calculated risks. You should have been able to put measures in place so that you didn't breach it. You should have put measures in place regarding KYC and AML so the exchange didn't get hacked for hundreds of millions of dollars. For example, security uh, measures in place. The KYC and the AML is around people that are using it, right? We forget sometimes that, well, the beginning of Bitcoin, well, it turned into a huge countrywide investigation around Silk Road and stuff like that, you know? So it began horribly against the traditional uh, system and the regulators and so on. So actually, if you want to look at it from that standpoint, it's getting better. This is what a lot of people forget. It's actually getting better. It's moving in a direction away from where it started. It started in the worst possible position. That's very subjective. That's a very subjective statement, man. That it began in the worst possible uh, well, position. I, and it all depends if if you were doing good business on Silk Road. I mean, <laughs> you might have a different point of view. Fair. In again, I I take it <laughs> I take it from the position that it began in the worst possible position vis-a-vis its relationship with regulators, governments, and the traditional okay. system. All right, gotcha. <laughs> so so let me qualify. So it began in the worst possible position in terms of relations with it. So if you look at where the relations started and where it is now, it's actually <laughs> taken a few uh, a few steps forward. That's um, true, that's when, true. <laughs> <laughs> but people forget this. People forget. People don't want to look at history and, and where it's come and where it's going and, and where it went from and and all of these different nuances and things like that. And, and you know, people have, there have been articles over the last little while of uh, crypto folk uh, flocking to, to uh, was it, is it Puerto Rico? I think it's Puerto yes, Rico. Yes, yes. 
the, the, yeah, yeah. the crypto haven they called it i think yeah puerto rico where uh you know they're they're trying to buy tens of thousands of acres of land and set up a new city and put it all on the blockchain and it'll only be uh crypto that's accepted and stuff like that and you see uh lots of millionaires and billionaires and so on going well they did exactly that right it's still acting within the system who do you think gave them a th- authorization to do this well, they just go and they try to build it on on their own. Well, they have to have authorization, either soft or hard, soft being uh, not cracking down on them. They have to be allowed to do things like this. Okay, And you could also make the argument, well, they're just taking advantage of the situation that Puerto Rico is in. Well, you could also make the argument they're going to add a lot of value to the city. They're bringing a lot of investment, a lot of people. They'll create jobs and so on. You could make that argument. You could say, well, you know, this looks a little bit like uh, this. This was another article comparing it to colonialism. They're coming in with a lot of money and they're, uh, you know, they're funny clothes um, and they're telling the system and the society over there how it should work. Well, you know, a a million and one, yeah, a million and one uh, arguments for any given thing could be made, which is why we always need to go to what is the intention and the purpose and is it really adding value to people's lives and can it and how do we measure that and what is this and what is that? Once we look at it that way, all the other fluff around the the value of this, uh, the, uh, the you know crypto space, uh, this and that, and all of these different things begins to seem a little less relevant if we're always approaching things from the standpoint of advancing technologically uh, with new innovations that we're deploying. Right. That always inherently benefits people who need it, right? Then we need to look at, well, the people who need it, what do they need? What are they looking for? Perhaps it's more choice, more money, satisfying uh, key needs that everybody in the world should have access to. And that's part of Humanique's mission. And it's the part of the mission of many other companies and many other organizations. And you could argue that the whole point of crypto is financial inclusion so that everybody had access to an account to store their funds. If that's the case, well, the space looks like it's moving a little bit far away from that being the uh, the whole purpose and point of it. If we look at all the hedge funds and the VCs and the, the investments to make hundreds of millions of dollars, it's not focusing on the core, which is financial inclusion to all so that everybody, yes, like you said, is able to transact with anyone, is able to buy and sell, is able to have new forms of storage, new forms of, of choice. That is the point. I like that. I think we should end on that, actually, because that's a very high note. <laughs> it is a high note. <laughs> we could have went totally south, but that's a good one. So Yeah, I did my best to realign uh, our discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Hazem, thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. And it was a pleasure talking to you for an hour and a half. Not many people are going to know it's an hour and a half because we're going to edit this, but yeah. I very much appreciate it. Matthew, truly, it's always a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's always good fun chatting with you, and, and I love your approach and, and what you're looking and what you're doing for the space. Man, thank you very much, sir. My yeah. pleasure. Talk to you later. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. I really hope you enjoyed us just kicking around some ideas and having a conversation. It was a lot of fun to talk to Hazem. Hazem's a brilliant guy and just a great conversationalist. So, Hazem. Thanks for coming on the show, and I hope to talk to you again on the show. And now that you're done with this episode, make your way over to ICO 101 with Aaron Paul, where Aaron sits down with founders and CEOs of ICOs to ask them one simple question. Why should the average person invest in your ICO? He also does ICO reviews as well to get you started with your due diligence. And ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices. Also, WhenMoon.co. 
It takes all the crypto news and puts it in one spot for you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Next episode, we have Doug Pike back on the show to explain the Byzantine General's problem. I'm looking forward to it. It's a good conversation. And there's going to be a lot of bonus material of that episode put on Patreon. So don't miss that. Thank you very much. This is Matthew Aaron. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.